Well, welcome again. Uh, if you're new here to Veritas Church, my name is Jacob Warren. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're brand new to Veritas, you've been here for just a couple weeks. Uh, again, I'll be after the gathering at the Connect table only for a few minutes because I'm flying solo. This morning, I got a sick kid at home. And so pray for my wife. She's alone with my seven-year-old who's probably, I mean, he's recovering from the flu, but he's bouncing off the walls, y'all. Like, he's been cooped up in a house all week. Uh, he just wants to do something right now. And so all she's heard all week is, Mama, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? So or as much as you pray for me in the preaching of God's Word, pray for her in the parenting of our kid this morning. But uh, again, I'll be at the Connect table after the gathering. Love to shake your hand. If you're new, if you're like, oh man, you've been within 10 feet of the flu, I understand if you just want a fist bump or just kind of wave to me as you walk by as well. But um, See, last week, um, we had fun, now didn't we, if we were here this past week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, with Paul teaching about the way that we should view sex and marriage and singleness. Uh, so uh, by, by show of hands, did anyone have a good conversation this past week, maybe with your spouse, maybe with, with your community group? Uh, conversations in that atmosphere, that's really good. We really want healthy marriages here, and one of the ways that we can make that happen is by making veritas and in our communities, uh, in particular our community groups, safe spaces to be able to talk about all of this. See, uh, Kylie and I, um, we're, we're doing premarital counseling, and so earlier in the week with a couple that shall remain nameless, um, and lo and behold, the topic for that week within the Prepare and Rich uh, premarital uh, counseling curriculum was sex, and it was uh, interaction with, uh, around affection and all those types of of ways, and so we had a great time, time talking about sex expectations this past week, helping them uh, understand that sex is a beautiful gift that they will get to navigate once they are married, not now, not yet. And um, but for some of us, I want to acknowledge the reality that um, even having these conversations, talking about sex, marriage, and singleness, can be hard topics. Um, in our church, in the past week. Um, there's been things uh, that have been brought up within community groups, uh, within uh, just the individual partners within this church, where um, it's been painful. There's been hard things to talk about. Uh, whether your marriage is struggling, whether you're struggling in your season of singleness or something else, we want you to know you are not alone. Um, for as many people flourishing in one way, uh, there is as many hurting in another way and struggling. Uh, Paul would write in the New Testament that we weep with those who weep, and also we rejoice with those who rejoice. And so today, we're going to be talking about another hard topic, about what happens when sin ultimately has its way in a marriage, and that marriage ends in the devastating ruin of divorce. See, at this moment, I think this is where the words of Jesus and the good news of the gospel must ring clear. Hear these words from Mark chapter 2, where Jesus says this, he come, he has come, Jesus himself, to those who are well. To those who are well, they have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus is telling us in that moment, through the good news of the gospel, that in this moment, as a church, we need to act like the family that we already are in Jesus. And we need to realize that we are all the sick in need of Jesus. We are all in need of Jesus as our great physician. We are all the sinners in need of Christ's righteousness. So what we're going to do first this morning, um, before we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 again, is lean into this moment. We're going to pray together, because that's what families do. 
They, they pray for one another. When someone has a need, they stop. They pray. They come around that person. If you've been in a community group, you may have experienced this before. Like you, you've shared something that's really painful or hard or something you're struggling with, and you're able to be brought into the middle. Maybe if you'll lay hands on you in that time and just pray for you right there on the spot. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray for each other. I'm going to lead us in a pastoral prayer. And I want, I want you to, if you're sitting beside your spouse, hold their hand. If you're sitting beside someone who's single and you, and you know that they're struggling right now, maybe ask if you could lay a hand on their shoulder this morning. Um, see, I want you to do that and really act like the family that we already are in Jesus. So let me lead us in this prayer. Let's pray for one another as I do that. God, here within this room exist many um, joys and many sorrows. God, would you heal us? Would you heal past wounds? Would you heal and allow sin to be brought into the light so we can not have any sway any longer in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships with one another? May past wounds come into the light so they may be healed. God, I pray we as a church meet confessions of sin with the truth of the gospel, not shame, not guilt. God, would you redeem and restore and heal broken marriages here in this room right now? God, would you help singles in this room that have sexual baggage in our church? Let us meet them with grace, with good news of what Jesus speaks over them right now in their singleness with their past baggage and wounds that ultimately it is the his righteousness that stands in our place. We are the sinners coming to our great Savior and physician for healing. God, help us as a church live in community with each other, seeing our relationships with each other as absolute necessities for our own spiritual formation. God, that we are not lone rangers. We're actually made for community for one another here in this room. We should exist as the family that the church should be. Spirit of God, unite us. Give us eyes to see your word clearly this morning and help us see the good news of the gospel because of what Jesus has done to the glory of God the Father. We pray this. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be again this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 24. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, or if you grabbed one of those black hard book Bibles, hardback Bibles on the way in, uh, you can consider that Bible our gift to you this morning. We love the Bible. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to be able to read one for yourself and see the very words of God to you, both now and forever, recorded in Scripture. So we come to this, this word right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God's good word to us for this morning, verses 10 through 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Hear these words, church. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, she should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, 
and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But, Paul has like a hint, hint, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he was called in the Lord as a bondservant, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. See, I think there's three main sections in this text for us this morning that Paul is addressing first. Uh, the, the, the believers in the room that are married, a, a reminder that Jesus is teaching about divorce to those believers. Then second, there's Paul's instructions about divorce to believers married to unbelievers. Then finally, there's this last section of 17 through 24, this command that the whole church be devoted to Jesus in whatever season of life they're in and wherever they're coming from. So again, last week we spent a lot of time talking about that, that Paul and Jesus and just the whole of the scriptures themselves want us to see that marriage and sex within marriage and then both singleness itself are good gifts from God. That marriage is a picture of Christ and the church and should be celebrated as a gift. Singleness as a reality for everyone who's a follower of Jesus at some point. You're either in it right now or it's coming for you in the future when you or your spouse dies or worse, you're divorced, you will experience a season of singleness, and it should be celebrated as the gift of this undivided devotion to God that it is. See, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is doing corrective teaching against what we presume are anti-sex advocates within their church. These folks were under the persuasion that celibacy, yes, celibacy even in marriage, was the way to go. However unthinkable that might be to us in our day, right? Because our, sex, our culture is absolutely sex-crazed, and honestly, so are we to the, for the most part. See, sex is a way for husbands and wives to serve and give to one another, not take from one another or get what they're owed from one another. It is a good gift to celebrate this physical act of spiritual oneness that represents the spiritual oneness that has happened between you and your spouse that back in the beginning when God created marriage, when he created man and woman, he said that they're to come together and the two were to become one flesh. And that's what happens through the covenant 
of marriage. But today, Paul is handling what is a further distortion among the married Corinthians. They were getting divorced, and they were getting divorced without biblical justification. Now, divorce is a tender issue for many of us here in the room. See, maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe you've seen how divorce tears up families, maybe within your extended family, or maybe you yourself have been divorced, and you're here this morning, and even just me mentioning that out loud, there's this inner sense of shame and guilt that you already feel. I want you to know that if you have been divorced, God wants to meet you right now, where you're at, that we're not here to go shame or blame or guilt anything that's happened in the past to you, but God is meeting you right here in this moment with good news for you. So all of us, though, have this category for divorce, this kind of operational categories for divorce. And I think for most of us, that could be, we could fit into three, one of three categories. One is it's kind of the worst evil in society. Maybe you grew up in a church where it, like, divorce was the worst evil in society. Like They were talked about like, as the scum of the earth. Or maybe you have the operational reality that divorce is just not really a big deal. It's not really a big deal. It's just really a piece of paper or maybe just something that needs to happen through legal means. And you, I got married at a courthouse anyways kind of thing. Then there's the last group that I think that we can see ourselves in. is seeing divorce for what I think Paul was really trying to advocate for is it's an unfortunate reality in a sinful world. And I think Paul would say that's what it is. So for the, the worst evil folks, you see, you rightly see the horror that divorce causes in failed marriages, confused kids, and the relational fallout. I mean, the statistics are horrible. Like you've all, all often heard probably that half of all marriages are kind of destined for divorce, Christian or otherwise. Nationwide stats look even better uh, this year in 2022 if you go read all the statistics and websites and all that stuff, but you know why the, the divorce rates look like they're getting lower? Less and less people are getting married. Less and less people are actually engaging and we're disenchanted with the idea of even marriage between man and a woman because we've seen so much horror and fallout within it, our own lives. Pew Research in 2019 has these statistics, that 52% of males ages 15 and older and 48% of females 15 and older actually were married. And among married Americans, the median duration, I means like the average duration of married life in 2008 was only 18 years. Only 18 years of all marriages. Among men in 2009, 9% of all of them were divorced. Among women, 12% were divorced. And the stats go on and on and on. For the folks that see it as like this horrific, worst evil, you, you see the damage and the effect it could have within the kids, society, and all of that. But here's the thing. Divorce is always less than God's ideal for marriage, but it is given because humans are sinful. And we'll see this in the words of Jesus very soon. If Christians divorce, they should do so biblically. Now for the no big deal folks. Let's address you here. Maybe you see divorce as just like, well, if I ever fall out of love with my spouse, we'll, we'll, we'll both then just need to get honest with ourselves and just go find our best and all of that, find someone who actually deserves you. Now, to speak to you, 
You need to hear this. Like, you're a piece of work. I'm a piece of work. We're all a piece of work here, right? Like, <laughs> you've got as much junk to deal with as your spouse does, okay? You're both bringing junk to the table all the time, right? Whatever those things are. And for clarity, I'm not talking about those enduring abusive behavior, right? If you are enduring abusive behavior, please talk to us. We want to help there. But I'm just saying that, yeah, it's, you, you're special. Yeah, you're a snowflake. No one's exactly like you. But, man, you got sharp edges on that thing. That snowflake hurts. It cuts, right? You, you know that some of us are, like, incoherent after 9 p.m. Like, I, you can't have a conversation that makes sense. You just can't. You can't be trusted with the remote. You're always going to choose the, the worst thing possible. Some of it, you know that you have, and you need to be honest with your weird habits. You're just weird. All of us are weird in some ways, right? Just own it. It's okay to not be okay here, right? Remember last week, the, the whole, I just let it soak, folks, and then the, unless it's in the dishwasher going right now, I can't sleep, folks, right? Just be honest about your weirdness. See, Paul seems to see divorce, though, as an unfortunate reality. It is not just some, something that's no big deal. It has massive spiritual ramifications, to take something that God sees as one and rip it into two. That's a horrific thing. That is a hard thing. We cannot deny all of the pain, all of the, 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 the hurt caused by divorce. And, hot take, even if divorce happens, it doesn't give you the license to do whatever you want afterwards. Jesus has something to say about that as well. So, let's look at those first two verses again. If you have your Bible still open, the first Corinthians chapter 7, look at the first two verses. Paul says first here that he is speaking to the married in the church, the, the married within the church. And the assumption here, he's talking to the married believers here in the church. And then he uses this phrase that says, I, not the Lord, okay? Now, that might be confusing for some of us because it's like, okay, Who's writing here again? Why does Paul need to say that? He actually is saying that because this is a recognized kind of public teaching that would have been recognized by most of his hearers. You got to remember, like, we, they didn't have the New Testament the way that we do. They couldn't just flip in their Bibles over to Matthew and read these words, right? We, they uh, either didn't have that scroll yet, or even when they did get the scroll, like, they didn't get their hands on it. The only guy who got it, this guy up at the front of the room, like, preaching from it. Like, that's how that worked back in the day. We need to be grateful for the Bibles that we have open right in front of us. See, they couldn't just order a new Bible on Amazon. They couldn't just ask it to be shipped to their house on donkey. You know, they couldn't just do that. They had to hear these words of Jesus that were passed down orally. So don't take your Bible for granted. So for us, we don't need to take our Bible for granted either. We need to actually work, look at the words of Jesus. So if you've got a finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, flap, uh, uh, not flap, my gosh, turn over to, page, uh, to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Flap on over to Matthew chapter 19. <laughs> Matthew 19. In Matthew 19 is where we actually looked at uh, last week, again, uh, the, the last section after this where Jesus teaches on divorce in front of the Pharisees. Then he teaches on singleness afterwards. Look, look with me at verse 3, where Jesus is teaching about divorce. 
Verse 3, the Pharisees came up to him and tested Jesus, him, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answers them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they asked him, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Jesus says back to them, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. These are the words of Jesus here. This is the clear teachings of Jesus here on divorce. And here's the big takeaways. Divorce goes directly against God's good design for marriage. It does. Divorce is the result of sin within the marriage that has grown rampant and eventually gives birth to this thing called divorce. And divorce does not necessarily free you to remarry. See, if you're back in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's been steeped in these teachings of Jesus. And that's why he doubles down on what Jesus has actually said here. See, Jesus' general rule is don't divorce your spouse. Why? Again, we've already went over this. Marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Does Christ give up on his church? No, he does not. Does God give up on his people? No, he does not. This is something that we hold near and dear to our hearts. Teachings of Jesus, like in John chapter 10, when he says, my sheep hear my voice. They, they, they won't run after another. They, none can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is committed to his people, so we should be committed to our spouses. Beautiful, God-glorifying, loving, sacrificial marriages where men lead through the husbands, and, and there's this willing, respectful, Christ-like submission in wives as pictured in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you separate from your spouse on grounds that aren't explicitly biblical, you don't get remarried. You don't. This is a hard teaching from Jesus. So what are those grounds? Jesus clearly states sexual immorality here. See, sexual immorality, there are a few things, I think, that can fundamentally uh, undermine and ultimately break the covenant between a man and a woman like sexual immorality. And what Jesus is getting at here is sleeping with someone other than your spouse, engaging in sexual activity with someone outside of the covenant of marriage. And there's a whole different range of ways that you think that could get interpreted, but that is this fundamental breaking of the covenant between a husband and wife that is at stake here. And Jesus makes it clear that to remarry outside of those biblical grounds for divorce is sin. Now, we'll see here in a few verses that Paul actually, because there are circumstances outside of that, Paul has other ways that he thinks biblical divorce can happen with this idea and provision for abandonment. See, in verses 12 through 16, 
Paul's going to shift this attention from couples where both are followers of Jesus, committed to one another in the covenant of marriage, and then he's going to talk about couples where one of those people is not a follower of Jesus. And guess what, church? This is a new problem because nowhere in Jesus' teachings do we have this situation pop up. Within the teachings of Jesus, nowhere does he talk about a situation where a husband and wife would not be followers of him or both be adherents to the Mosaic law as Jews. So what Paul does here in this next section is give his own apostolic teaching to this new problem within the church. Look again at verse 12. Verse 12. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So if Jesus' teachings on the topic were well known enough that Paul could say with full confidence, like, I, not the Lord, in this, this phrasings, uh, like that his hearers would actually hear his words and say, oh, yeah, those are words of Jesus I've heard before. What do we make here of Paul's own instructions? Because if you'll notice, what does he say? To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. What do we make of that, right? Do we just take it or leave it? Do we kind of treat this like, well, you know, there was this band once that had this really great new sing lead singer, and now that guy kind of went away and they got a new one? So you're like, ah, oh, I'm just going to give up on that band. It's kind of like Queen nowadays. No one, no one wanted Adam Lambert to do that. No. We all want Freddie Mercury. He's gone now. Just, just leave it be, man. Just you know, Don't put any, put any new albums now. As Queen, it's a different thing. Now, we can't just take it and leave it like that with Paul here. See, this is the Apostle Paul writing authoritative Scripture. And we should probably listen up if Paul the Apostle and, and obey it because this is God's very word. So when he makes this distinction, I, not the Lord, he's saying, I'm building on the very words of Jesus here through my apostolic ministry and teaching. Paul's thoughts aren't optional. They are the authoritative word of God to the Corinthians and for us. So here's the cliff notes on verses 12 through 16. One, marriages between a believer and non-believer are still seen as holy before God. And this is actually breathtaking here, that Paul would say that, that marriages between a believer and a non-believer are actually still holy. They're seen as good and right in the eyes of God. And Paul actually uses the word holy there. Like God sees them and approves of them. They're set apart. Now, they're, they're definitely different than marriages between a believer and a believer, right? Because they can glorify God in a way that a non-believer and a believer cannot, fundamentally. But they're seen holy in the eyes of God. And so what we should fight for as a church community is we should support and welcome those who are in marriages like that, where someone has come to faith in Jesus and their spouse has not. Now, certainly we should not encourage people to get married to people that aren't followers of Jesus. You don't do that. Paul's already addressed that. You wouldn't yoke a believer and a non-believer together. You don't do that. But if that's already the case, if you're already married and one spouse comes to Jesus, Man, you welcome that family in. You welcome them into the community of faith and celebrate them and point them to Jesus. What better way to model Christ before them than to do that? 
Also, too, children within those marriages between believers and non-believers are not seen as second-class citizens within the church. They are to be accepted along with their parents. Three, in some cases, the unbelieving partner will choose to separate that idea of abandonment. That because of the radical new way of living life, the radical new values that exist, as you now as a follower of Jesus, some spouses will choose to separate. I say, I'm, I'm not that way, about that way of life. You can think about this back in the, the, the day of the Corinthians, where formerly, Paul says that they were all sexually immoral in a number of ways. Some of them participated even in homosexual acts. Some of them were doing all these horrific things, horrific ways of sinning, and now they've come to faith in Jesus. One spouse has, and the other spouses just, they keep doing that. And it's like, no, I'm not going to the orgy. I'm not going to defraud my neighbor anymore. I'm going to do business in an honorable way. I'm not going to go down to the idol factory and go pick me up some new ones. Like, they were subverting the way that the life was being done in those communities at the time. Like, so much so, you can read about it in Acts, that the local communities started hating Christians because they were changing the way even the economy was working. Because the demand for sex, the demand for idols, the demand for all of these perverted things were going away so much so that people were losing money. How much that must be so for us as followers of Jesus. Can you imagine a reality like where the porn industry dies in America because we aren't feeding it anymore? Where there's no more demand in Fayetteville for, 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 for sex outside of marriage and prostitution because we've, the gospel has advanced to the degree that followers of Jesus are not participating in that at all and we're saturated this community with followers of Jesus and there's not a demand for those things anymore. Could you imagine that reality? That was what's going on in some of these covenant communities here. And that spouse who wanted to continue participating in some of those ways could not stand the smell of these new Christian spouses. So they chose to divorce. Paul says then, in the ends of the word of hope, you're not enslaved to that marriage. You're not enslaved there. You are free. You are to live at peace, both with God and your former spouse. And he ends with a word of hope for anyone in a situation in a mixed marriage like this, that God may use your commitment to Jesus and your marriage to bring your spouse to faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're married to someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, take hold of Paul's words here of hope. You're not a second-class marriage even though your spouse doesn't follow Jesus. There are many stories within this church of friends of mine that have walked this path and they've actually seen their spouses come to faith in Jesus. And it took years. It took praying. It took tears Many hours spent before the Lord in prayer, but their loving service and commitment to their spouse actually came to fruition one day of them following Jesus. You're still called to love them. You're still called to point your spouse to Jesus by helping your marriage thrive. Also, I want you to hear, if you're here and you are divorced, or maybe your, your, your spouse is not a follower of Jesus, man, your kids are welcome here. Like this past week, the elders gathered for our yearly planning meeting, and some of the big things that we talked about over the, the past number of days was, man, what's the budget for Veritas Kids going to be like? 
How are we going to get to love and serve families within our church? How are we going to get to support our kids? How are we going to get resource families to be able to equip kids with the good news of the gospel? Both Andy Atkinson, our Veritas Kids Director, and uh, Keenan Michael, our Veritas Youth Director, are so jazzed up to love and serve your kids, including those of you that are in single-parent homes, including those of you walking right now with a deployed spouse. And, uh, man, you are a solo parent right now. You're doing the solo parenting thing. Man, we're for you. If you need military care, we've got a whole team that's dedicated to make sure that you get needs met within your family during this season of life. Let us know. Fill out a Connect card. Uh, if, if you want to, uh, as, as, just a, as, as a married person, as a divorced person, or a single person, if you want to know how to get involved in a way that we can love and serve one another, take a rotation of Veritas Kids. Help us love and serve and point our kids to Jesus. Like You will be actively serving people in situations that are hard situations if you take a rotation in there. And it's only once a month anyways. Go sign up with Andy at, after the end of the gathering. Go fill out a Connect card and take it to the Connect table. Or just you know, talk to a team lead, a person in a green shirt after the gathering. They would love to welcome you on that team. See, we believe, for those of us that are partners here in this room, that we are called to see one another love and serve Jesus with all we've got. That we've actually committed together in a covenant, saying that we're going to help others and each other pursue Jesus and their families walk in obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. Let's do that as a church. And Paul, in, this, in a similar vein, he ends this in, chapter, in uh, verse 17 and ends his talk on divorce with one last command for the whole church community. His command is this, live as you're called. Or another way to say that is be devoted to Jesus in whatever season of life you are in. Let's look again at three verses that sum up Paul's teaching in here. Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. They'll come up on the screens for us. Look at verse 17. Paul says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Skip down to verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Then verse 24 so brothers, and that word also means and sisters of family, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. See, Paul's teaching here is clear. You do not have to change your circumstances to come to Jesus. And you don't have to change your circumstances in order to follow Jesus. See, Paul, back in 17 in Greek, essentially reads like this. God has assigned you to which he's assigned, he's also called. And what he's called you to, you should walk in. God assigns, God calls, therefore walk. And the illustration that Paul uses in between these verses are two. First, he uses the illustration of circumcision, which is, I don't know if you know what circumcision is, it's pretty permanent, right? Can't take that one back. Once that's done, it's done. And then his other one is an illustration about being a bondservant, Right? Being in, in, in a position where you have, you're in servitude to another in order to raise your status a bit, but then also to, you're indebted to that person. You are serving that person individually. This is different than like the American chattel slavery system that like we would understand through our history textbooks and all that of ownership over an individual. It wasn't quite that, right? 
This word is bond service, doulos in the Greek, to help us understand that this was something you kind of willingly gave yourself to so that you could get a better status in life and have a meaningful existence at that time period. Or you could be in a, a history and lineage of that. But these illustrations of circumcision and bondservants serve as real-world examples of Paul's, in Paul's day of challenging ways that believers were called to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. Yet some believers saying, okay, I have these cultural and religious uh, identity markers on my own body as a Jew. Well, how do I walk as a follower of Jesus with that thing or without that thing? And then you have these others over here, the bond servant saying, well, I am in a social and economic position in my society. Well, how do I follow Jesus? How do I obey Jesus in that scenario, right? With that social and political, uh, not political, but economic marker in their life. But Paul's clear teaching to both is to be devoted to Jesus in whatever season of life you're in, in whatever state you find yourself in. No doubt, believers within the Corinthian church would have been former Jews, the males bearing on their own body the marks of circumcision, a mark of the covenant. And then others would not, because they would be Gentiles. So they would not bear the sign of the covenant. So they were asking, should I go get, should I get the sign of the covenant or not? Does that help me? But Paul's saying, no, don't seek that. Or if you've got it, that's fine, that's cool. Serve Jesus in the state that you're in. Give your whole life and devotion to Jesus in whatever that state is. Also to bond servants. Man, even though you've signed yourself up for this thing, or this is the state you're finding yourself in, in servitude to another person, that's okay. That's cool. You're a freed man in the eyes of the Lord. The way that God sees you, you're completely free. Now, your present circumstances, you're there, right? So that's why he gives them kind of like the hint, hint, elbow to the ribs a little bit. If you can get out of servitude, like, get out of there, man. Like, do that. Avail yourself of the opportunity. He gives them that thing. So, application for all of us is, what religious or cultural identity markers do you bear? From your youth, what circumstances did you grow up in? Maybe your religious identity markers was perfect attendance at Sunday school, right? Maybe you had uh, maybe you went to Awanas and you're like, man, I know all that stuff. I know all, I got all the check boxes. Maybe you were a Royal Ranger and you're like, I got all the badges, yo. Like, I got them in my, in my closet. Maybe you, can't, you grew up in a different faith. Maybe you have a cultural uh, or religious identity marker, maybe even on your own body in some sense. Man, that's okay. Wherever you're coming from, you can serve Jesus right now because guess what? That stuff doesn't matter anymore. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters right now is your obedience to Jesus. So you didn't, you didn't have to change anything about yourself to get yourself onto Team Jesus. You don't have to change anything right now to keep yourself on Team Jesus. You know what? who keeps you on the team? He does. He does. Also, in your present circumstances of social and economic markers on your life, no matter if you're like drowning in debt right now, or you sign yourself up for the United States military, and you're like, yeah, that's a constraint on my life. I got socialized health care, but like everything else, they can stab me with a needle anytime they want. It doesn't matter what that constraint is on your life. You can follow Jesus right here in the right now, 
of your military life. That's going to mean something for you. You don't have to get out of the military to serve Jesus. You don't have to stay in the military to serve Jesus. Right here, right now, Jesus is calling you to faithfulness no matter where you're at because nothing is important as our allegiance to Jesus. Nothing about where we came from and nothing about our past can bar us from following Jesus. Married or single, divorced or otherwise, wherever we find ourselves financially or socially, nothing can bar us from following Jesus. And that's why Paul closes with these last few verses. Look again at verse 22. Look at verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord, any of us who follow Jesus, as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Church, you are free in the eyes of God. Likewise, he was a free man who was called as a bondservant of Christ. Church, you are a bondservant of Christ. You have signed up under the rightful rule of your king, Jesus. He gets to call the shots. Verse 23, for you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Church, hear the price that you were brought with. Though you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, though you were enslaved by the things that, that you wanted to do whenever you wanted, that those previous ways of life in which you walked, which we were hated by others and you hated others yourself. You know what Jesus has done about that? Jesus has walked the life perfectly in obedience that we should have walked. Like what was talked about back in the garden, it used to not be so. Jesus willingly gave himself up to death in obedience to the will of God on a Roman execution device so that we could be brought into the family of God. He bore our sins on the tree. He buried our sins in the grave, and he resurrected to new life to grant new life to you and to me. And because of that, that price by which we were bought with the death of God himself, that Jesus died for us on the cross, that price, we do not become enslaved to anything. No sin, no ideologies, the things that want to creep into our own hearts. See, brothers and sisters, in whatever way you find yourself coming in these doors this morning, Jesus wants to meet you right here. He wants to meet you right now. You got struggles? Yeah, we all do. You got doubts? Yeah, we all do. Jesus wants to meet you right here, right now, the good news of the gospel, because the good news is you can be free. Let's pray that we would be. Lord Jesus, I pray that this good news in the light of such a, a hard teaching about divorce, um, that the, the note of hope that Paul leaves us on here, um, God would just prove true for each of us that gather here, uh, that we really would uh, love and serve you and believe that, man, there's nothing in our lives right now that could bar us from loving obedience to you outside of sin. So God, if there remains sin, God, may we confess it um, and walk in the light as you are in the light. God, I pray um, that for those of us that feel broken and hurting and um, still wounded by uh, past sin, past 
trauma, uh, God, that you would um, make this church into a safe place where people can um, heal and help heal others. Um, God, I pray that that would be um, a work of your own spirit that you work here in and among our people, um, that as we act like the family that we already are in you, Jesus, um, you just do incredible things. Um, that as each of us um, come to you um, and recognize that we are all in different seasons of life with different struggles and different worries, God, um, I pray that we would um, yeah, cling to the hope of the gospel and remember the cost by which you purchased us and um, allow that to, to leave us, lead us into loving obedience to you. Pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.